time now for another Future Sox interview and uh, my guest for the five millionth time, Scott Merkin, WhiteSox.com. <laughs> Scott, uh, we've been we've been planning this uh, interview for I don't know. It's almost it's April twenty first. I think we started talking about this. Uh, while college, so we we talked about before the NCAA tournament started, and then we were going to do one like I don't know, four, three or four weeks ago. So glad we could finally do it. Thanks for time. Sure, glad to be here. Do I get like a gold watch for the five millionth guest appearance on the? Yes, you get a you get a special prize. Uh, I got a, to be determined. To be determined. Or at least like a future socks T-shirt or something like that. Oh yeah, there you go. I, I want one too though. I don't even think I have one. But uh, <laughs> so let's let's talk before we get to to uh, baseball. Uh, we need to talk some college basketball real quick. Sure. Um, we're going to start with Purdue because so that game, I was, I was over at my girlfriend's house and I was like, you know, North Texas, whatever. I was planning on going to Indy on Sunday to cover the game. And, and, and you know, and I wasn't thinking much of it, you know, I'm in North Texas and I thought Purdue was going to be good. And then all of a sudden they lost. And it's just, I, I didn't pay. I was so mad. I didn't pay much attention to the entire tournament until, you know, the final four. And then, you know, Michigan made their run, but uh, what, what did you think of the tournament overall? Yeah, there were some, some you know, I, I have always said that I thought like after one verse 16 and even after Virginia lost, I guess there isn't even that stunning there. There really are no upsets. I, two verse 15 is still pretty close. And then I think everything else is pretty fair game. Like, I don't think Loyola upset U of I. I mean, Loyola, it wasn't like Loyola was an awful team and suddenly had one great game. You know, I mean, they played a perfect game against U of I and U of I was not very good. Right. I think in that game, they were very good, obviously, right, right. you know, for the most part of the season. But I think that was a huge upset, even though it was what one verse eight, right? I don't think UCLA was an upset over Michigan. You know, I mean, obviously they proved they're pretty good too. I think once you get past that first round, it's, um, it's, it, there's not much difference. You know, they go by, I guess, probably strength of schedule and conference and that kind of thing, quality of wins. But I, I was stunned Gonzaga struggled. I mean, I watched that game against USC and USC had played really good bad. USC absolutely dismantled Kansas. And to see Gonzaga beat USC where they basically set the score, you know, I mean, they, in that game, they basically were up 22, 23. USC got it to 16 and Gonzaga was like, okay, we got to play again. And they got it back up to 23. And to see them, A, you know, need to, you know, to go down to the wire against UCLA and then B, really just get dominated by Baylor. Tells you how good Baylor was, but it was a little surprising to me. And then, of course, personally, you know, Still can't believe Michigan made. Oh, we got a visitor. We got a guest. We got Mercy. <laughs> I still can't believe Michigan missed, you know, four shots in the last uh, twenty seconds in that game to win it. And and I I will add UCLA impressed the heck out of me against Gonzaga because I really thought nothing against UCLA, but it was scored fifty one points and John Johnny Jazang, I think his name is. Yep. Yep. 28 of the 51. So I thought, well, this isn't a great team. This is a team that just got on a good roll. Michigan played an awful game. Not totally taking away from UCLA, but I thought Michigan lost that more than UCLA won. And then UCLA just was unbelievably impressive against Gonzaga. I mean, truly great effort in that game. So they they got to where they deserved to be. And Michigan, you know, I don't know what they would have done against Gonzaga, but they did not play a good game in that Elite Eight round. It was, I mean, just UCLA from the first four to the final four. I mean, that's just or from crazy that far and just – Obviously, without livers, Michigan, you know, not not as as the full strength. But it was an interesting tournament. We'll see. What, it'll be interesting to see what happens next year with the, with the full season, and uh, we'll see. Well, I mean, these, the transfer portal is crazy now. I mean, you hear, every day you see. I don't know how much Purdue has been hit by it. Michigan. Really hasn't been hit this year. They lost some guys, like the kid who had a real nice year for uh, Florida, Colin Castleton. I think his name is. Okay. He's a Michigan guy for two years, and he transferred to Florida. Um, I remember the guy a few years ago who beat Indiana in the Big Ten tournament on the last. Second and three from the corner. I think his name is Cameron Chapman. He transferred a couple years ago. But I mean, just really 
prevalent now. You know I mean? I think Adam Miller, is that his name from U of I? I was shocked to see he was in the portal. Yeah, yeah, one of them, yeah. He may go back, so who knows. But, you know, it, it's it's a it's – a, I mean, looking just – I don't know enough about Purdue to comment, but just looking at Michigan, Mike Smith and Sean D. Brown were two, you know, transfers from Columbia and Wake Forest and huge to the team's success this year. Yeah, uh, Purdue lost Aaron Wheeler who kind of um, kind of got replaced. Um, he struggled, but then they lost another guy who didn't really play much. So they got a good recruiting class, and I think they're going to be a top top eight team next year. So yeah, Michigan's got number one recruiting class in the country. So I would I would guess Michigan starts the year probably top four or five. Yeah. Well, I know Livers is gone, depending if Wagner's gone, and I'm, I'm you know I've seen him projected as a lottery pick, so I'm guessing he's gone. And then you know you got I'm sure Dickinson will be back. Uh, Eli Brooks said he's coming back. You know whatever happened to Eastern? Did he play anywhere? Because I know he. Was- I don't know. I, he was supposed to go to Howard. He was supposed to go to like all these other places, and then it didn't work out. He was supposed to go to Michigan, right? At some point. Very short time he was. Yeah, in Michigan, yeah. and then to Howard, and I, I don't know whatever happened to him. But uh, I I didn't have many interactions with him. Good kid from what I knew, yeah. but he just couldn't just couldn't put it together. Well, Painter did a great job with that team. I mean, that team was good, but not as probably not right. quite as good as what their record ended up being. But that was a. That was a really good – I mean, you know, they had a bad game in the tournament, but otherwise a really good effort by Matt Painter with that team. And that was awful. All right, let's get to the White Sox. Uh, we, could, we could just have our own college basketball podcast. We'll yeah, we should. We but, should. Uh, that, I mean, actually, next year, let, let's do it, actually. So, well, let's get to the White Sox. Uh, the number one story of the White Sox has got to be your mean Mercedes, uh, a guy who in 2018 I saw plenty in Winston-Salem um, and a guy who was much larger in 2018 than he is now. Uh, and that's a testament to how hard he's worked. I mean, that guy is, is hit at every level – Finally, given the chance, only because Aloy is, is, is out, and um, you know, you know, didn't. I don't think Yerman would have gotten a chance if Aloy was was playing because they would have gone to Vaughn first, and right, you know, rightfully so because Vaughn, you know, uh, the pedigree credentials and all that other good stuff. But Kareem Mercedes has been one of the biggest stories, not just the White Sox, but in Major League Baseball. Yeah, I would think uh, your main Mercedes and Carlos Rodon, right, are probably one A and one B for the White Sox this year. But you're exactly right on Mercedes, and you probably can speak to him better than I can because you've seen him a lot more in his minor league days. But, you know, I mean, not to be dismissive of your main Mercedes, but he was not in the opening day plans until Jimenez got her. I mean, just look at the numbers, how they break down. Like you said, you know, Eloy would have been left, and even with Angle injured, it wouldn't have been Mercedes, I don't think, who made it out of that. And really, Tony LaRusso, you know, pretty straightforward with us during his, at least during the early stages of his managerial run here. But really, I mean, he kind of labeled Mercedes as kind of like an emergency catcher and a pinch hitter. And then the guy gets a start at DH in Anaheim and gets goes five for five, gets a second start because you have to. And Tony, Tony seems to be a little superstitious too. He's even said that after um, Abreu broke out of it with three hits and two home runs of the DH, he said, you know, I wanted to start him again at DH, but you know, Jose hates that. So we'll see how that works. See if it, it transfers to Friday now, since today was canceled, but I mean, he's been great. And I mean, it's been a great approach. It's not like he's, you know, looping 10 singles in or something like that. I mean, he's killing the ball, you know, he's, he, and he's getting big hits and he's just he even pitched this year for God's sakes. I mean, he's been an exciting player and done a great job for them. And I really like, you know, how he kind of short changes his approach, no stride with two strikes. One of the, I think at one point he was had you know, like second or third most two strike hits in baseball. And I mean, you don't want to sum this all up in one thing, but think about where they'd be without him. If he didn't hit, right. he was just, you know, an average hitter. I mean, you know, I don't, I'm going to take a wild guess and say he doesn't hit 404 this year. <laughs> but I, You know, Alex Rodriguez had an interesting comment on that Sunday night game in Anaheim. And now there's a big jump because we're talking 
Martinez is a Hall of Famer and David Ortiz, who probably will be a Hall of Famer. But he basically said, you know, they didn't become David Ortiz and Edgar Martinez until later in their career. You know, David Ortiz in Boston and Martinez after a few years kind of getting his feet wet with Seattle. So maybe this is the chance Mercedes needed. We'll, we'll see what happens. But, you know, in, in the counter of that, it's probably taking away some at-bats from Andrew Vaughn because you got to play Mercedes regular. you got to ride the hot hand and let him stay in that lineup. I once saw your mean Mercedes at two walk-offs in a single day against the Lakewood Blue Claws back in with the sale. I mean, that guy, all I did was hit, you know, he's – and he's, he's such a fun guy, too, for the clubhouse. Maybe. Well, Zach, Zach Collins said that during a recent – I think I think it was – I don't know if it was the Zoom after the no-hitter he caught by Rodon. Or, I think it was. I don't think it was another Zoom. But he basically said – I think I asked him something about, are you guys even surprised anymore about, you know, when he goes three for four? And he's like, well, nothing nothing ever surprised him because I saw him hit every step of the way. Yeah. So he's in the same boat as you are, that, you know, Mercedes is just a oh. good hitter. And, I mean, a very charismatic guy and – yeah, I love the quotes about. I'm paraphrasing now, but I, I got to be your mean. You know, I got to be. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's got to be t-shirts besides the Yerminator. There's got to be t-shirts coming, being your mean or something like that. And you know, now the ninth guy out of the bull. Well, him and Mendick competing for the ninth guy out of the bullpen, right, for the White Sox. Let's get to Michael Kopech, uh, another guy who I you know spent a lot of time around in 2018. Was, I mean, just he's got all the talent in the world, but his his off field issues are well documented, and. He is a much different pitcher than he is than he was then, and you can just see it on the mound. And he's been lights out. He got the start the other day, uh, went three innings of no hit ball, and then you know he went into the fourth. And he has been above and beyond anything they could have asked for, I believe, right now. Yeah, I think you can't help but admire what he's doing now, but keep like one eye towards 2022, or I suppose maybe even 2023, and think, geez, what's this guy going to be like when he right. enters in the rotation? And you know, Tony Larusa made a comment that. You know, if he stayed in the bullpen, which is not Kopech's goal at all, you know, he'd be a pretty elite, you know, closer or setup man or something on that on that level. But yeah, I think it's going to be the same kind of philosophy as like only a right-handed version of what they did with Chris Sale, where he gets this year in the bullpen, maybe part of 22 in the bullpen, but that's too far away to guess. And then he's into the rotation. But yeah, he's just been that, you know, he's been a pitcher more than just a thrower, which he talked about. He made the last start of spring training 2020 before the pandemic, unfortunately shut everyone down. He pitched on a Tuesday. They got rained out on a Wednesday, had an off day on a Thursday. And then the season was, you know, cut short on that Friday. And he was in great spirits and looked good then. And he's carried it over to now, you know, I mean, he's been, he's, I mean, every outing, I think there's one outing maybe against Cleveland where he was a, not off, but just not as sharp as before. But he looked great in that the little I saw him in that ball. I was off that day, but I watched a little of him pitching that Boston game and, was just tremendous. I mean, yeah, he's been just a great asset to this team overall, just mixing pitches and hitting his spots and, you know, showing control and being able to throw, you know, with, you know, that extra velocity when, when need be. And I mean, you know, it's been, been the, I, I guess would, I would say to be the best guy of that bullpen so far, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It absolutely has to be. Uh, I think the biggest thing for him that has helped is his changes in his delivery. You know, before he was, you know, in the minors, I just remember seeing him and his, his body, he was just all over the place. I mean, he repeated his delivery, but there was a lot more moving parts. And now it's abbreviated uh, from the stretch, not quite from the stretch, not quite from the windup. He's a lot more compact and it's just straight to it. And I think that's helping him a lot. Yeah. You know, I think his mindset is strong too. You know, I remember talking to him. Um, he was at a, I think it was a Matt Davidson charity out charity out in California. And he talked about, he's very open, really honest and straightforward kid. Great quote, great talker about how, you know, he battled that one season when everyone wanted him up in the majors. When I th- It was 18, I guess, when he eventually did get called up. He battled the yips where he said that, 
you know, if he started a game and threw a couple of bitches out of the zone, he would think in his mind, I'm going to be like that the whole game. And there were games like that where he had, you know, some, I think there was one game where he had like three innings pitch and like six walks or something like that. But I mean, he's kind of, you know, overcome that and he's very focused kid. And you're right. I mean, just the changes he's made overall have made him a better overall pitcher and he's been truly dominant so far. Uh, last thing I want to touch on is Carlos Rodon. I mean, obviously from, from all, from, from the, what was it? Third overall pick? Fourth overall pick? What was it? Third overall pick behind uh, Brady Aiken and Tyler Kolick. Brady Aiken went to the Astros. Astros, Marlins. Kolick went to the Marlins. Rodon went to the White Sox. And I believe Schwarber went to the Cubs at yes, four. that's what it was. Yeah. So <laughs> Rodon trying to join the World Series Club from the five draft picks. There. We will, we'll, we'll, we'll take that. Uh, so, yeah. So from that to being hurt, you know, seemingly every single year to – not even knowing, I mean, his, his wife, Ashley, you know, that we didn't even know we were going to be this year. They just, they just had the, the, the kid. And to to being the fifth starter in a, on a team that had, he had to beat out Ronaldo Lopez. And, you know, I, I don't even know if he's the fifth starter if Michael Kopech's healthy. You know, I, you know, I don't even know if he gets another shot with the White Sox. To being arguably the second best starter for the White Sox thus far. I mean, maybe, you know, Giolito with Giolito's outing against Boston, maybe the best starter for the White Sox. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's been the most consistent of yeah. any. I mean, he's given up what one earned run in, in uh, five, 10, 19 innings, right? Yeah. So it can't tough to beat that to, to obviously throw in the no hitter. And I mean, so what has it been, what has it been like seeing the progression of Carlos Rodon from your point of view? Well, I think one thing, you know, he gets non-tender in December comes back in February via one year, $3 million deal. And as one of the other writers, I think it might've been Daryl Van Scon from the Sun Times said to me, and maybe James Vegan mentioned this too, that, you know, if they gave him $3 million for the year, he was pretty much set. I think is that he was on the team and it was more likely that he was going to be the fifth starter and Lopez is going to be the, the biggest surprise is that Lopez didn't break as a reliever, that he was sent down to kind of continue stretching out at the alternate site as, as a starter and wasn't part of the opening day roster. But I, you know, I, I think even if I had my doubts at the beginning, Rodon was pretty much set as the fifth starter. But, you know, a couple of things, you know, he really worked hard in the offseason. People have talked about that, you know, this is a famous spring training quote, but he's in the best shape of his life. And, you know, he's commanding, you know, three pitches and even mixing in the curve every now and then. Throwing that high fastball, he did that a couple of times yesterday. I remember he had a big at-bat against Luplo, who, had, who has had probably the best, either him or Jose Ramirez had the best at-bats against Rodon in the two games, the no-hitter. And uh, Tuesday night's game, you know, he, Luplo hit that ball really hard at the end of the game. That's not the exact – I don't think really hard is the exact stat cast terminology, but it was a it was a well-struck – it was a hard ball, as they would say, and it was just right at Moncada to complete the no-hitter. So, I mean, you know, I think he had – he was 3-1 and one on him and threw two, you know, about shoulder-high fastballs right by him. And that's a difference in Rodon. A difference in Rodon is that, you know, there's some mistakes behind him and the bases are loaded and that kind of thing, and he pitches out of it, whereas in the past – Sometimes he would, sometimes he wouldn't. You know, he's he's going 110 pitches in five innings, but still getting out of there with the lead. But I think here's here's a basic thing. I, I've kind of talked about other people. You know, this is his last year of control for the White Sox. Well, I mean, FSA 910 is last year, but they have a one-year deal with him. And he'll be a free agent after this year. And, you know, he's a family guy. I, I'm not, you know, he he tried hard before. He loves baseball. He's just had a lot of unfortunate injuries. You know, shoulder, Tommy John some deal, you know, some situation last year. And then he was kind of using the bullpen in some tough situations down the stretch, but you know, he was there. So you got to use him sort of thing. But I think he knows that this is the year, you know, this is the year I got to step up. And, you know, I, I don't think he's thinking, okay, this is the year I got to step up. I got to get a contract. Then I'm good. I think he's thinking, 
this is the year it'll help me and my family down the line, but it's the year to start being Carlos Rodon. And this may be, you know, the first of like five, six, seven, eight years, he runs off in a row where he is a frontline starting pitcher. Mark, we've got, uh, we'll have the minor league season coming up here in, in just a few weeks. And we'll, we'll, we'll chat again soon. But uh, I mean, like always, we could, we could talk White Sox baseball for a few more hours, but uh, we're going to, we're going we're to cut it right here. Um, but uh, you know, last thing real quick though, Getting snowed out, rained out. I, I didn't pay attention to whatever happened today. I think it was uh, it snowed like four inches there in Cleveland, and I think it was just field conditions. And in, I think it was okay. going to be like thirty degrees at first pitch or something like that. So yeah, Might as well seven inning doubleheader down the line, right? But I think you know, obviously they called up Alex and Chris. So I mean, I think that's really going to help the pitching staff here moving forward in the near future, at least. I'm sorry, who just I didn't hear you say no, so, so yeah, Alex McCray was called up and I don't know if he was supposed to start today or whatever, but that's obviously really gonna help, you know, the pitching staff here for these next couple games earlier. Yeah, I think you know the you know, uh they haven't announced it officially yet, but I would guess they stay in rotation. And in rotation would mean Dylan C's first Dane Dunning on Friday night at guaranteed race skip with Texas in town, and then um Keichel and then Lucas Giolito. And just one final thing, and you know, yeah. I'm write about this a little bit. You know, Dunning pitching Friday night against the Sox kind of shows where Rick Hahn and the White Sox are right now, right? I mean, that you know, Rick Hahn did not want to trade Dane Dunning. No one wanted to trade Dane Dunning. But this is the spot they're in. They're not building anymore. They're going for a World Series championship in 2021. So you got to trade a guy like Dunning to get a guy like Lance Lynn, who slots in, you know, as your three, if not higher, in your playoff rotation. So that's the kind of, you know, you can still add some young guys along the way, but no longer is that the focus of your deal where you're trading away proven guys to get young guys. You're not trading away young prospects who you've seen develop to get closer to that world series championship. All right, Mark, appreciate your time today, man. Um, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right. Sounds good. Thanks. All right. That's Scott Merkin, whitesocks.com.